Reading is from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. So I'm excited uh, this morning to introduce our speaker, but before I do, I just want to follow up on what Jenny had shared, that a lot of our leaders and staff members are at a retreat this weekend um, called Learning to Love the Master. Uh, It's a soul care retreat, and so if you could keep them in your prayers. Uh, We recognize as a church that healthy leaders um, have healthy leadership. So um, please just uh, keep them in your prayers. It'll end today, so they'll all be back next week. But One of the great things about them being gone is that we get to hear from other people, and I'm very excited to introduce James Sang. So James, if you want to come on up and give him a round of applause. I've had the pleasure of getting to know James and Liz and their family, and they are wonderful people. Uh, They work at a ministry here on campus in Tucson, and um, I know we're all going to be blessed by what he has to share. So thank you. Thanks, Dave. All right, well. I should just keep you guys with me all the time. (laughs) Well, good morning. Thank you for the privilege of opening God's word with you. And and just to say, um, I love that uh, so many of our leaders value intimacy with Jesus to the point where they're willing to step away to to develop that. And I just think that's great. Um, And... uh, just, if, if you don't have a Bible, uh, please raise your hand and one of the ushers will, will bring one for you. We have them in English and Spanish. 
I was going to try to say that in Spanish, but I was like, nah, that's not going to work. I thought about doing it in Chinese, and I realized that's probably not going to work because I don't think we have Chinese Bibles, so I'll just stick, to, <laughs> stick with English. And, and if you don't own a Bible, please keep this. Uh, take it with you. Spend time reading and meditating it because I, I do believe that God will meet uh, and speak to us through it. So like David said, my name is, is James Sang. Uh, my family and I, is a picture of us, we moved to Tucson about a year and a half ago from California. And, and it's been an adjustment. Um, uh, my daughter Meg and my son Zeke, you'll see them like after church running around kind of in that like gang of kids that just kind of roam the halls here. <laughs> and, and they're great. And, and my, that's my wife Liz. And I like to say that she's, a, she's, a, she's my P31 and, and to explain that, uh, a group of men in our ministry are spending intentional time in Proverbs, and, and I've been having a lot of conversations with guys about the Proverbs 31 woman, and, and I was like, yeah, I got a Proverbs 31 woman. She's right there. Uh, so so we've, we've been married about 10 years, a little over 10 years, uh, and, and man, she's my best friend, and she is a blessing from the Lord. So um, I don't know if you guys know but there's this thing called Fest, Tucson Festival of Books happening right now. Is it, did anyone go yesterday? Okay, number, okay, yeah. Books are good. Cool. One thing that, that our family loves to do is to read. And, and the latest thing that, that my kids have been really excited about is Garfield. You remember him, Garfield? And, and um, we had to have a very serious conversation this week about Garfield and how he is not someone that understands the gospel of Jesus. So let me remind you, if you don't know who Garfield is, he's a cat, he's fat, he's lazy, he is very unkind with only, not only his words but his actions. So we talked about how because Jesus loves us and Jesus loves all people, we should treat all people with respect and love. So we're talking about don't be Garfields, be like Jesus. And Garfield needs some Jesus, so we should be... Praying for him if he weren't unreal, if he weren't fake. Uh, but like David is mentioning, uh, Liz and I, we had the privilege of, of working full-time uh, with, a, with a ministry called The Navigators. And um, Liz has been on staff with The Navigators for 15 years. This is my 14th year. And uh, we love it. It's, I think I have one of the best jobs in the world. And I know The Navigators are just one of the ministries uh, that are represented in our congregation. I know we have people from Crew and Epic, Young Life, Athletes in Action, uh, InterVarsity, and many others. Uh, and just to clarify one thing, since I'm up here and I get to do this, like we are not in competition. None of those groups are, all right? Um, in different expressions, uh, all we're trying to do is help people know Christ who will raise up generations of disciple makers. So if you're tied in one of those groups, I'm so excited. And I love that you found uh, a, a home here in Redemption as well. So as we look at this passage this morning, I think th the main theme that I see is faith. And, and whether you know it or not, we are all people of faith. Uh, apps are really cool, right? Everyone has them. Uh, and I think if there were an app on our phone that measured like the amount of prayer that happens in Tucson at any particular day, I think we'd see huge spikes during midterms and finals and pretty much any U of A sporting event, if we're being honest. 
It's been kind of a tough year. Uh, and for those of us that have young kids, bedtime. Right? Like prayers all over the place. So prayer is an expression of faith looking beyond ourselves for help and hope. And according to a 2017 uh, Barna survey, 79% of their nationally representative respondents said they prayed at least once in the past three months. Faith is hardwired into us. So as we dive into this passage, we're going to look at three things. Examples of faith, an invitation to faith, and the fruit of faith. So just to give a little bit of background in in what's going on in the previous seven chapters, uh, at this point, Jesus has started his public ministry. He's chosen his 12 disciples. He's done multiple healings and teachings. He's becoming popular and publicly known, and and people are following him wherever he's going uh, to, to hear wisdom, look for healing, or to see what amazing thing he'll do next. And so now we're just going to jump in the text. Uh, in verse is 41 through 42, we're introduced to a man named Jairus. And he falls at Jesus' feet, right? Kind of a random thing to do. Like if I'm walking and someone falls to my feet, I kind of notice them. And this is a public sign of desperation. He begs, he implores Jesus to come with him and heal his daughter, his only daughter. So even though he's a leader, he isn't concerned about what other people think of him or his reputation. His only concern and thought is for the welfare of his daughter, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to make sure she's okay. And then in verse 43, we're introduced to the character of this woman who was suffering from constant bleeding for 12 years. That's a long time. Uh, and academic Bruce Fryer, we all know Bruce Fryer, right? No, that's okay. I didn't know until I <laughs> worked on this sermon. In 2000, Bruce Fryer <laughs> uh, wrote about the average life expectancy of a person in ancient Rome, and the average life expectancy was 20 to 30 years. So this woman, if she lives, she lived the average amount of time for this period of history, will have spent almost half of her life struggling with this illness, trying to find a cure. That's a long time. And we also learn in these verses that she had spent all the money she had looking for a cure. But instead of getting better, the scriptures tell us it actually got worse. In addition to the physical pain and loss of her finances, her sickness had social and relational costs as well. Because in Jewish culture, her hemorrhaging would have made her ceremonially unclean, which would have cut her off from many social and religious relationships. And if you're looking, and and that's seen in in Leviticus 15, 19 through 30. So she couldn't go to the temple to worship. Uh, If a Jewish person touched anywhere she had sat or slept, they would become unclean and have to go through a procedure of cleansing. And some would even consider any physical contact with her as unclean. And I believe this woman carried a very deep sense of shame. She, like Jairus, was desperate. She tried everything she could think of. And so when she hears about Jesus, she comes up with this long shot plan of getting healed. 
And in faith, she reaches out and touches Jesus' robe. In Mark's telling of this encounter, we get a look into her thoughts. In Mark 5, 28, she thinks, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. So she was a woman of faith. In response to her faith, in verse 44, Jesus heals her immediately. And I love that. She had spent over 12 years trying to get better, maybe half of her life, and Jesus heals her in a moment. Like, what a powerful and amazing God we have. And in verses 47 through 48, uh, Jesus, Jesus publicly reinstates her. So rather than letting her like slip away in the crowd, which if I were her, I'd be like, cool, I'm healed. Let's get out of here. Uh, he has her publicly testify to her supernatural healing and her faith that led to it. In a time and a culture where women were seen as second-class citizens who couldn't own property, whose testimony was not legally admissible in court, I love that Jesus is so countercultural. Not for the sake of being countercultural, but because he loved this woman. He sees her and he calls her daughter. Having been on the fringes of the crowd surrounding Jesus, unclean and ashamed, the woman now finds herself welcomed into the family of God. Jesus sends her off in his peace. She came for a physical healing and got so much more. Like how amazing that Jesus is both powerful and kind. In this woman, I think we see an example of faith. Faith is believing that God is real, that God is big and powerful, and he isn't like you or me. Uh, We don't keep our words. I often will make a promise, and uh, if you've been around me long enough, you've known that I don't always keep it. Uh, In our family, if you hang out with our kids long enough, you will hear the phrase, that's not fair, a lot. Or you said... And it's usually not like an encouraging thing. Like, you said it and you did it. It was more like, you said it and you didn't do it. (laughs) But God is not like us. And according to Numbers 23, 19, he never speaks and fails to ask. Whenever God promises, he always follows through. That is who our God is. And a definition of faith that, that speaks to me is this, that faith is belief, put into action. Our faith itself does not heal us, right? God does. But the woman's faith was the divinely appointed means for her bodily healing as well as for her spiritual salvation. So in verse 49, we shift back to Jairus. We're like, oh yeah, there's this guy Jairus. And, and things are going pretty well. If I were Jairus, I'd be like, I'd be feeling pretty good. Like, okay, okay. Like, I found Jesus, and he agreed to come with me to like, heal my daughter? Like, okay, okay, let's go. They're like, oh, there's a little speed bump with this woman. Like, what's going on? Okay, well, she's gone now. So, okay, let's go back. Like, we got we to gotta take care of my daughter, my one and only daughter. And, and I have a daughter. And um, I don't think it would be an overestimation to say that she doesn't get everything she wants, but I'm kind of a softie. 
Uh, and so, so I, I can really, like, I can put myself in Jairus' shoes. Like, my only daughter is at death's door. Let's go, Jesus. But then, in verse 49, he gets horrible news. A messenger arrives and says, your daughter's dead. You're too late. Don't waste Jesus' time. He's got other things to do. He's got better things to do. But I love Jesus' response. He is not deterred. And in verse 50, he gives Jairus, and I believe us, an invitation to choose belief and faith in him over fear and pain, which I imagine Jairus was just drowning in. Faith in Jesus is the antidote to fear. It does not mean that we will not be afraid. It means that faith in Christ will allow us to move through the fear. Uh, I mentioned uh, that with the Navigators, a bunch of guys are reading uh, Proverbs right now, and, and we're in the middle of a biblical masculinity course, and it's called Nobleman. And, and uh, one of the things that we say in Nobleman is this, it's, it's do it scared. We cannot wait until we're not scared, because when that happens, we'll be in heaven with Jesus. Right? I don't know about you, I'm often afraid. Uh, so I love that Jesus doesn't say, don't be afraid ever, or you're, not, you're never ever going to fear. But he says, in, choose to trust me over living in fear. So, okay. And we learn that, that faith is not something that can be forced upon anyone. It must always be a choice, which is why this is an invitation. So choosing to have faith in Jesus doesn't mean that everything is easy, or we could put it, because I have kids, in the, in, the, in the way that the Lego movie would say it, like everything is awesome. Uh, if, you, if you haven't seen the second one, there's actually this, there's a, there's a song called Everything Isn't Awesome. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, because it isn't always awesome. Uh, and many, if not all of us, will have times of struggle or of doubt or extended periods of those things. And I believe that God is big enough to handle our questions and doubts. And rather than keeping them to ourselves and hidden, he longs for us to bring those to him. So faith is a daily decision to believe what God says is true of us in the Bible and to live out of that. So we see Jairus accepting Jesus' invitation because in verse 51, ignoring the words of, his, of the messenger, he brings Jesus to his home, and he knows his dead daughter is waiting for him inside. And as Jesus and Jairus enter in verse 52, they are surrounded by the sounds of weeping and mourning, and without any hope, that totally makes sense. And amid the mourning and all the noise, Jesus makes a really interesting statement. He says, oh, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And in verse 53, the mourners laugh. And, and, and I, as I think about myself, if I put myself in their shoes, I think I would have laughed too. I don't think it was like, that's hilarious. It's more just like, what? Jesus, you're this wise rabbi. You have all this wisdom. You've performed all these miracles. And you can't tell the difference between someone who's sleeping and someone who's dead. Like, she's not breathing. 
Like she's dead. But I love that from Jesus' viewpoint, like her real death is but sleep. Like Jesus is powerful enough that raising the girl from the dead is like waking someone up from a nap. And the group's lack of faith and like mocking laughter did not deter Jesus. Uh, in verse 54, he takes the girl by the hand and he speaks to her. And those in the room would have been shocked to see Jesus doing this. Like first, he's touched by this woman who's bleeding and ceremonially unclean. And then in a short amount of time later, he's touching a dead girl. And according to the Jewish law, again, in Numbers 19, verse 11, it says, if you touch a dead body, you are ceremonial, ceremonially unclean for seven days. So Jesus is doing crazy things. But I love that where there is death and hurt, Jesus brings life and healing. And as if waking from a deep sleep, the girl is supernaturally brought back to life in verse 40, uh, 55 and is restored to her family. So in Jairus and in this bleeding woman, I think we see examples of faith. Of actively choosing, because faith is a choice, to put their hope in trust in Jesus in the face of seemingly impossible odds. Twelve years, all money spent, only gotten worse. Dead daughter, not sleeping, but dead. And belief is really important, but I don't want us to stop and settle there. God has so much more for us. Um, I don't know if any of you, we're talking about books, and, and one of my favorite books, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. Any, any, any other Clive Staple Lewis fans? Yeah. I know the hell is, right? Ransom. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to quote, if you'll allow me, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis twice in this sermon. But the first one is, is like Jewel the Unicorn in C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, like the, the conclusion of the Narnia series, uh, God wants us to go further up and further in in our faith with him. And Jewel says this as he enters into Aslan's country. Our, the idea of entering into heaven with Christ. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants us to be people who are so transformed by Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection on our behalf that we choose to respond to that good news with action and deed. We don't do things for God to be saved. We get to do things because we are secure in Jesus saving us apart from anything we can do, and we get to bring our Heavenly Father glory and help people know him through our obedience. Like I'm going to say that again because this is really important, and this is something that God has been teaching me over and over again in my relationship with him. We do not do things for God to be saved, we get to do because we are secure in Jesus saving us apart from anything we can do. And in response to his saving, we get to bring our Heavenly Father glory and help people know him. 
In James 2.19, the Apostle James highlights this when he says, you believe that there is one God? Okay. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Let's go further up and further in. So that's an example, examples of faith. And from Jesus, we see an invitation of faith that I want to encourage all of us to figure out what we want to do with this morning. We don't have to be controlled by fear because he is with us. And if we put our faith in him, he promises that we won't be disappointed. And I believe the fruit of faith is not a promise of physical healing like the woman and Jairus' daughter so don't hear me say, hey, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will never be sick again. No. Because I know many of us, maybe all of us, have had sincere prayers for healings that for reasons unknown to us have not been answered. Rather, I think the fruit of faith is a deepening of our relationship with God in all seasons. A growing confidence that even though God even though God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours, and inconceivably higher, we can be sure that God is not only sovereign, but also good. And he doesn't maliciously withhold good things from us, but quite the opposite. He gave us his very best, his one and only son. Jesus, who was with us to the end of the age, he says in Matthew 28. In, in Romans 8.32, Paul writes, if God gave us Jesus, how will he not graciously give us all that we need? He gave us the very best. He is not going to withhold from us. So my question is, what about us? Since we're all people of faith, right? We all have faith. The question is not, do you have faith? But the question is, where are we placing our faith today? For some of us, for me, it's easy to say that our faith is in Jesus. Like, oh, of course, my faith is in Jesus. Uh, and I don't want to disagree with you because that's between you and the Lord. But I want to push back a little bit. Like, is it really? Or is it in our GPA? Our relational status? Our careers? Our social media presence? We get in lots of hearts on Instagram, uh, the balance in our bank accounts, the things that we own, or if I'm honest, our children. Those are all really good things, and, and so many of those things are a blessing from God, but they aren't the best. And the enemy of the best is usually not the bad, but settling for the good instead of the best. And God is so much more for you and for me. So when we put all our faith in those things that are good, we will be disappointed. Maybe some of you have been disappointed. Uh, if you put your faith in me, you have been disappointed. If you in the future put your faith in me, I will disappoint you. Spoilers. Um, we will be disappointed because those things were never meant to hold the weight of our faith. And this was really recently made clear to me uh, when within uh, two weeks, both of our vehicles broke and were in the shop. So if you would have asked me, you know, before our cars were in the, in the shop, 
And hey, did you trust in, do you have faith in Jesus that, you, that he's got the best for you? I'd be like, oh, of course. I got verses about that. Uh, but then f- first, one vehicle. I got a call when I was in California at some meetings from Liz that one of our vehicles had stopped working and was being towed. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. I was okay. I got home. We, we were trying to figure it out. And then the next week, our other vehicle decided to stop working and had to be taken to the shop. And we got both back, but with sizable bills. And as I looked at those bills and looked at our bank account, and then back to our bills, <laughs> and then also to the thought of, like, we're going to have to replace one of these vehicles. Like, Trish, I'm honest, there was, there was a, an upwelling of fear and anxiety. And I kind of freaked out. Uh, in the midst of that fear, God was kindly showing me that I had placed my faith in having a certain amount of money in our savings, and I felt if I was at a certain amount, I could be secure. And when the thought of it dropping below my set amount appeared, my response was fear. And I love that Jesus could have been like, boom, like, ye of little faith, and just crush me, <laughs> right? And sometimes he does, and he's done that to me in the past, but he was so kind. Uh, even in prepping for this, for this sermon, Jesus was saying, hey, what I told Jairus, that's for you too, in this situation. And he brought me back to Psalm 23, Verse 1, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack no good thing. And reminded me of his faithfulness to me over the years. I actually started writing a list. And I was like, oh my goodness. God has been so faithful in every area of my life. And there was still fear. And there still is, if I'm honest. Uh, But I, I love that he's meeting me in it. So we're still in process God is meeting me in it and inviting me to put uh, my faith in him in newer and deeper ways. Um, and, and I'm excited to see how he's going to work. And, and right now, I just want to thank, uh, publicly thank the Winnecks and the Harkeys and the Hellers for how they've loved and cared for us so well, like in the midst of this. Um, like you have been living examples of God's goodness, and I just want to thank you. So going back to the question, how will we respond to Jesus' invitation today? There's a lot of different ways we can respond, but I want to highlight three. So the first is, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. Maybe you're well acquainted with the hurts and things in your life that make you feel unclean. Will you bring that to God today? Maybe you've tried to find healing in other things or in other people and you've been disappointed and it hasn't worked. I'm saying to you, will you accept Jesus' invitation? Jesus willingly touched the unclean woman and the dead girl and brought about life, hope, and restoration. We don't need to hide our uncleanness from him. He knows everything about you and me and he wants to bring healing and hope into our lives. No matter what you have done, 
no matter what has been done to you, Jesus can meet you right where you are. And there isn't a magical prayer or a three-step process. It can be as simple as talking to God, is what we call prayer, and saying out loud or in your head something like this, God, I believe you're real. I know I'm imperfect and unclean. Thank you for loving me and sending your son, Jesus, to live the perfect life I could never do and having him die on the cross to pay for all my imperfections. I want to put my faith in you today. And during our response time in a little bit, uh, the band is going to come and lead us in some more musical worship. We'll have people in the back who'd love to talk to you, answer any questions, and pray with you and for you. Or, or come talk to me uh, or any of the church leaders after the service. Uh, if you decided to put your faith in Jesus, please let someone know. Please don't walk out of here without anyone knowing. Uh, the reason is we want to celebrate with you. We want to help you. We want to encourage you in any way we can. Praise God that we are never, never too far gone for Jesus to heal us. Or maybe you have a relationship with God, uh, but he is showing you areas of your life where you're putting your faith in other people or things instead of him. If that's you, I want to tell you that God loves you so much. He's crazy about you. Right now, just as you are, that's not something that Mr. Rogers came up with, right? Like, it's a Jesus thing. But he, I do love cardigans because of Mr. Rogers. Uh, and Jesus, the lover of your soul, invites you to return to him. If you tell him the truth and ask him to help you put your faith first and foremost in him, like he will forgive you. I promise you. I've experienced it. He says it in his word. He promises. And he will help us. He's our good shepherd who willingly chose to lay down his life for us, his sheep. And I also invite you to go and pray with people in the back during our response time. Or if you came with someone, like, share with them and have them pray with you. Or number three, maybe you're doing well in your relationship with God. He's brought healing in your life in, in different ways, like the woman and, and Jairus' daughter, and you're walking intimately with him. Like, that's amazing. Praise God for that. If that's your idea, that's great. My invitation to you is, will you testify about impact that God has made in your life to others so that they can experience healing too. Like, all of us are hopeless without God, and once we get to know him, we don't have to talk about Jesus. We get to bring people to Jesus, the people that God has placed around us. And if you were able to go back and talk to Jairus or the healed woman, and if you were to ask him, like, hey, I heard you had some inter in interaction encounter with Jesus. Like, what happened? I don't think they would say, well, that's kind of personal and private. Like, I kind of don't like to talk about my faith or my politics or my finances, so let's talk about something else. Let's talk about, you know, there's this guy, the cat named Garfield that I hear is really interesting. No, like, I am convinced that they would be openly and boldly sharing about how Christ brought hope in life in ways that no one else could. I think they'd be sharing with people even if people didn't ask. I just imagine this woman that was healed, and, and she's early in the morning drawing water at the well. 
and she's drawing water, and a woman across the well from her makes eye contact. And she says, hey, I want to tell you about how Jesus changed my life. I think it would just be oozing out of them. And something that we say with our students is that talking about Jesus in Tucson is easy. And it is, I'm telling you. I've had a, a number of conversations or initiated conversations with people about Jesus. Not everyone has wanted to talk to me, but no one has ever hit me or spit on me or said horrible things to me. Uh, the worst thing is maybe like a snarky comment and a look, and I just smile and pray for them as they walk away. Uh, and it is, in, in addition to regularly praying for some of our friends, coworkers, and family that don't know Jesus yet, and... Um, on that note, like, if you have a moment, like, today, I would love you to pray for my dad. Uh, we didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I got a text from my mom this morning, and she said, Dad has agreed to go to church with me once. Please pray. Oh and I was like, what? And, and you guys don't know my dad, but that's a supernatural miracle. Like, I've seen him go to church once in, like, the near 40 years I've known my dad. So if you could pray for him, that would be appreciated. Um... So yes, we want to be praying for our friends, family, coworkers, those that got a place around us that don't know Jesus yet, but we should also be helping them take active steps towards God. And I think one way to do that is to engage them in spiritual conversations where we are really good at listening to their thoughts and feelings, not correcting them right away, but listening well, and then in turn sharing where we're at as well. At the beginning of the this, of this sermon, I showed you a picture of my family, and I talked about how much I love them. Zeke is my dude. He gave me good snuggles this morning, and it was awesome. Like, Meg is, I call her my buggy boo, and she loves wrestling and beating the tar out of me. Uh, and that's her way of showing my, me love, and I'm going to take it, because who knows what will happen as she gets older. Uh, but wouldn't it be weird if you and I started hanging out and we were building a friendship uh, over multiple months, and, and we'd you know, eaten good food together, had fun, but I never mentioned my family. And then one day, you're at the Target on Elcon, because like everyone goes to Target, right? At least I feel like we're there a lot. Or insert wherever store you want. And, and you bump into me with, this, with my family. And I introduce you to them, and I tell you how much I love them. Like, that would be kind of weird, right? That'd be odd. Um, there's a disconnect between my words and my actions. But if I'm honest, I find that's how many of us treat our relationship with Jesus. Among Christians, where it's safe here on Sunday, it's easy for us to say that we love him, he's the center of our lives. But at times, he's oddly absent from our conversations with people that don't know him. I think that's really interesting for all of us to think about. And if that's us, I want to invite you to take steps of faith in inviting your friends that don't know Jesus yet to read and discuss the Bible with you. This isn't a lecture time where they're going to sit and you're just going to go, this is what the Bible says, and like maybe even physically hit them with a Bible. Don't do that. But this is a time to read a portion of the Bible. I really like the book of John. I love reading John with with students and, and with friends and other people, and, and ask them what stands out to them, have a conversation about it, and you share what you think. 
We don't have to have all the answers. The Bible says that it is God's word. It is powerful. So my hope and my goal is to get people to interact with it and to let God's word work. It could be simple as meeting up once a week for 30 minutes during a lunch break and reading, talking a little bit, and then going on your day. Uh, This is probably one of the most favorite things I get to do. I love reading the Bible with people that don't know Jesus. Like, I've had some of the most odd and random conversations. People always want to talk about aliens. I'm like, I don't know what John 2's got to do with aliens, (laughs) but let's roll with it. But I've also seen people that are far from God be changed by his word. And I've seen people that are hardened against God be able to articulate clearly to me who Jesus says he is and what he wants from us. So uh, about a month ago, we invited our students to engage with their friends and ask them to read the Bible with them. We did some basic training, we prayed, and we set them loose. And it's been amazing to see God work in and through them. Our students are praying and inviting people to read. And if you'll allow me one more Narnia quote, God is on the move. Not because of us, but because he is powerful and kind. Not everyone they're asking is saying yes, but many are. And and we're learning that we never want to say no for anyone. So students are reading the Bible with floor mates, with RAs, with coworkers, guys in, that they're doing ROTC with, friends from different cultural backgrounds, people in the LGBT community. And I love being part of our family here at Redemption, but many of the students will not join us on Sunday. So I love that we get to bring Jesus to them. Students are engaging the scriptures for themselves and some for the very first time. We're opening the Bible and we're like, hey, this big number, that's a chapter. And that little number, that's a verse. And each chapter has verses. And they're like, okay, cool. And then we read. We can only do this well if our faith is rooted not in our abilities, the response of our friends to the Bible, but rather in faith in Jesus So whether it's a small step or a giant leap, I want to encourage all of us to find a way to place our faith in Christ today. Not out of guilt, compulsion, or obligation. Those are horrible motivators. But out of an overflow of love that we see and experience in our loving Savior. Oh, that we would draw near to God and accept his invitation of faith whether for the first time or the thousandth time, and as he draws near to us, as he promises he will do in James 4.8, that we would experience his life-giving healing. And in response, we would testify to those he's placed around us. They too can experience the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that nothing is hidden from you. Thank you that you see all our uncleanness and you long to bring healing and life. Help us to meet you wherever we're at, whether that's saying yes to you for the first time, returning to you, or maybe taking steps of faith to engage those that you placed around us. Thank you that you are good and kind and strong. Thank you that you never fail us. We ask, Holy Spirit, you would increase our faith. 
Amen.